I want to bring without any further delay our guest speakers this morning. Will Ford is this crazy African-American guy that you see worshiping so radically. I knew when I saw that video that we showed a couple, well, a few Sundays ago. Was it a couple of months ago? Six weeks ago? I knew that I recognized him, and sure enough, in our conversation, he was a member of a church that was pastored by a dear friend of mine, and I was there, and I remember you worshiping like that, man. I, yeah, I didn't forget his face. I just didn't put it together until he and I talked. It's my first time to have the opportunity to meet Matt Lockett, but if you will notice, he's equally radical in his worship today and matt is the director the executive director of the justice house of prayer in washington dc will has been up until recently a professor at christ for the nations and he's just had to resign because their schedule has become so crazy they have a message that our nation indeed the world needs to hear Amen. When God works with you, the impossible becomes possible. Did you hear what I said? When God works with you, the impossible becomes possible. On the other hand, all of the political efforts in the world can't fix what God doesn't lift his hand to try to fix. The scripture says that. Amen. Unless the watchman keeps the city, they waken but in vain. Amen. Unless the Lord builds the city, they labor in vain who build it. But when you have God working for you, it's amazing what can take place. And this is message that they've come to bring to us today is vital. I would like for Will Ford and Matt Lockett to please come. Would you stand and give them an inspire church welcome this morning? We're so honored you guys are here. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you, Pastor. Uh, good morning, Inspire Church. I tell you what, we are so blown away to, to be here with you guys. It's an honor to be here. I have family in Houston. I uh, hope my auntie don't find out that I'm here and I forgot to call her. <laughs> Because I've been such a, uh, your, your, your pastor has been a spiritual father to me from afar for, for many years. I've been uh, following his ministry and just been really gripped by the story of, of this amazing fellowship. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles real quick, we, we come with props. <laughs> if you haven't seen the story before, we come with props. And uh, go with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 4, says this. So Joshua called the 12 men who had been appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you. So when your children ask later on, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Now, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. These stones wind up showing up in a very unique place. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18. This is Elijah having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. It says this. 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. It's interesting. It was those same four words that Joseph used to save the nation of Israel. When he spoke to his brothers, come near to me. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. How did he do it? Verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, 
Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. And you know the rest of the story. On those old stones, God released a new fire for the next generation. That's exactly where we are right now. In the midst of all this time where social distancing has revealed the social distance in our hearts, God is asking all of us, please come near. Can we pray? Jesus! We absolutely love you. We give you glory, King of glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We magnify your holy name this morning. God, thank you so much for the privilege and honor of being behind this sacred desk before this amazing congregation. Lord, we need another move for the whole nation right now, God. So we're coming, Lord, to contend, knowing that you're the God who loves to remember. We ask you, let your heart be moved again so that generations even yet to be created can praise you. Answer the prayer of your son who prayed. Father, I pray that they become one, that your glory become so that the world would believe. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So uh, a lot of what I'm going to share is like the tip of the iceberg of what's in the book that uh, Matt and I wrote together called The Dream King, how the dream of Martin Luther King is being fulfilled to heal racism in, in America. And they'll be available for you after we speak. But uh, I, I know a uh, pastor did something that was kind of unprecedented, showed the, the video of, uh, of our message before. So we're going to come with a little bit of a different wrinkle, uh, especially knowing this house and uh, knowing what people of prayer you are. I want to build on uh, what, what we have that message before. But God loves to remember. The first time memorials are ever mentioned in the Bible is here in Joshua chapter 4. It's the first time the whole concept of memorial is, is, is talked about. And so basically what happened, there was this whole generation of people who had grown up in the, grown, they grew up in the desert. They grew up in the desert for 40 years. But that generation, for 40 years, they didn't have to do with slavery. The previous generation took them out of slavery. And now this generation, they've been following that cloud, cloud by day and fire by night, 40 years. And they had clothes that never wore out, shoes that never wore out. They ate little cakey white stuff every day called manna for 40, 40 years. In other words, the supernatural was just normal for them. They were basically honestly at the same time living off the sacrifice of everybody else who took the risk to leave everything to follow God. But now God brings them to Jericho and the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to part the Jordan River the same way I parted the Red Sea for the previous generation. And I'm going to equate this generation with all the stories that they heard their mother and fathers talk about. So the same God who parted the Red Sea, he parts the Jordan River. But while the Jordan River is parted, he says, you know what? I should have had a V8. It's all, all the baby boomers got that joke. The millennials, y'all didn't get that joke. But <laughs> the V8 commercial from years ago. Should have had a V8. Because there's going to be a generation after them that hadn't seen the Red Sea parted or the Jordan River parted. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab stones out of the middle of the Jordan River. One for each tribe. And these stones were so huge they had to carry them on their shoulders. They piled them up on either side of the Jordan River. Even in the middle of the Jordan River, those, those stones were basically to be a sign that provoked the next generation into the history of God's faithfulness. So when they got into the promise and they would ask them, what do these stones mean? And they would have tell them, look, you, we, we got those stones out of the middle of the Jordan River because the same God apart the Red Sea is the same God apart the Jordan River. We didn't have scuba gear back then. I couldn't swim that good. <laughs> we grabbed these huge stones, these huge boulders out. And we pile them up to let you know the same God apart the Red Sea is the same God apart this Jordan River and they apart whatever circumstance for you. That's what this kettle pot has been for my family. It's been a memorial stone passed down from generation to generation. And uh, to help you understand why it means so much to me, I have a little clip from uh, this speech by Dr. King. Uh, let's go ahead and play that clip from the Lincoln Memorial of all places. Let's play that real quick. Happy to join with you today in what will go down in history 
as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. Powerful, powerful speech. Amazing speech. About, what, five days from now, that speech, uh, the the anniversary would be here, just August the 28th, this Friday. That speech means a lot to me, for those of you who saw the first time we came through, because this kettle pot comes from the slaves in my family. In other words, I'm one of those sons of former slaves. And this was used by my slave forefathers. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes. But secretly, they used it for prayer. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of the backstory that you didn't hear the first time I came through. I didn't think much about this pot. So this one particular summer, I got a heart for revival. I just became hungry for revival. I read a book by a man named Bill Bright. And in that book... He, he said, God, give me two million people who do a 40-day fast for revival in America. I said, God, make me an answer to that man's prayer. And so the first day I start my fast, God gives me the grace for that fast. I do a liquid fast. And the first day of that fast, somebody spray painted my neighbor's car in my neighborhood. I said, God, what do you want me to do? This random act of vandalism. He said, start prayer walking your neighborhood. How many of y'all prayer walk your neighborhoods? You prayer walk your campus. You prayer walk where you, where you work. Listen, if you don't start, because everywhere the sole of your foot treads, listen, God gives it to you. I saw the prayer walk in my neighborhood, and all of a sudden, people from different religions start asking me about Jesus. They start asking me about the gospel. I got a chance to share the gospel with them. I got a chance to pray for people. I saw folks get saved. I saw folks get healed. But listen, even greater than that, God broke my heart for revival in America. And all I could do is just walk and weep and pray for revival. I go early in the morning, go late at night because I, I would cry so hard while I, while I walked and prayed. I had this one little lady, she would be looking through the windows, watching me while I'm prayer walking. You ever had that, like the Gladys Kravitz, like that nosy neighbor in your neighborhood? Yeah, she was one of those. She'd be looking at me and be on her phone at the same time. I always picture her saying something like, yeah, there he go again. He walking and crying again. I don't know what his wife is doing to him. I'm like, lady, no, I'm praying for you. Come on. <laughs> so prayer walk these my neighborhood, but little I know God was connecting me to some unfinished business. See, the, the thing with God is he, he loves to remember, and he has this way of reconnecting current generations to what he already started in the previous generations. Not that he wants us to live into the past, But unless this generation has some starting blocks to go in, we'll go forward in the wrong direction. And we'll have the right heart without the right spirit. So anyway, um, God loves to remember. So think about it. Those 12 stones that God saw, he didn't see a pile of rocks when he saw those 12 stones piled up. You know what he saw? He saw the great-great-grandsons of his covenant friend Abraham who left everything to follow him. Because God loves to remember. I mean, for example, if I were to give you my scrapbook from high school and you look through some of those old pictures, you would probably start laughing at some of those pictures. <laughs> start laughing at some of those uh, Jerry curls from back in the day. God, please don't let the Jerry curl come back. <laughs> Whatever you do. <laughs> you start laughing at some of those polyester suits. But when I, if I were to get that same scrapbook back, I may start weeping over the Memories that I have of this person and that person and the battles I overcame and fought with this person and the things we did together. Why? Because my heart gets moved. It's interesting. Facebook, Instagram, all those things. You know why they're so so huge um, in terms of our, uh, their value. They're worth billions of dollars because Facebook and Instagram are the place where you house your memories. When the fires came in, um, in, in Redding, California, people weren't crying over their cars and their houses. You know what they were crying over? Their scrapbooks. Now, if we're made in God's image and likeness, think about how God is over the things and the people that he remembers. That's why generational blessings are so powerful to the Lord. 
And the first place you see that is in First Samuel, Second no, Samuel chapter nine, verse one. David and Jonathan they made this covenant with each other, and Jonathan's Jonathan's dead and gone. But they made this covenant with each other. So when David becomes king, Jonathan's family will live in the same household with him. But Jonathan is dead and gone. So David says this in Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. He says, "Who in the household of Saul can I show kindness to, for Jonathan's sake?" Then he rephrases and says, who the household of Saul can I show the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? In other words, this is what the kindness of God looks like. So they go find this broken, busted up kid named Mephibosheth who knows nothing about the covenant and they bring him into the house. Why? Because David is still under the influence of Jonathan's remembrance. Jonathan's memory. But David said something that was so profound. He said, this is what the kindness of God looks like. In other words, the kindness of God looks like this. For somebody who becomes a laid down lover of Jesus in the place of prayer, their covenant devotion becomes a lock on device to the next generation. And he'll hunt your next generation. In other words, God is about to bring a whole bunch of Mephibosheths into the house of the Lord. Because God is still under the influence of your mama and your papa's prayers. So when God saw those 12 stones, he didn't see a pile of rocks. And so Elijah, when he builds that altar before the Lord, guess what? He knew what he was doing. He said, God, I'm going to provoke you to remembrance. I'm going to pile these stones up here right now on all these old stones, on these old memories. Would you release a new fire for the next generation? That's what God is doing for a whole generation right now. This is what, that's what happened to me. I began studying about all these great revivals, doing that 40-day fast. And so I go to this little conference in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, connect with a man named Dutch Sheets, and we, just, we decided to do a, a prayer journey. He didn't know me, I didn't know him, but God connected us together. But here's the interesting thing. When he began to talk about where he wanted to go in his prayer journey and how, he want, how we wanted to go and take this part and use it, he said, I want to sing you all the names of the cities that I want to go to on this prayer journey. But here's the thing. When he sent me out the names of the cities that he wanted to go to, listen, y'all, all of them except for two were names of streets in my neighborhood that I've been prayer walking. For example, went to Jamestown, the original settlement, Jamestown Corp was right across the street from me. Went to Princeton University, Princeton Street was two streets behind me. Went to Hanover, New Hampshire. Hanover Street was next to Princeton Street. Went to Dartmouth University. Dartmouth Court was four streets down. Went to New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven Court was one street down on the left. Went to Gettysburg. Gettysburg Street was around the corner from me. Literally, I could go on. And if I had the city represented, I had the region represented. For example, went to the Chesapeake Bay area, and they call that whole area the Chesapeake. And at that time, I lived on Chesapeake Street. So why we got to do that with a white man named Dutch and a black man named William III? Where it turns out the Dutch were the first ones to send slave ships into America. 1619, 400 years ago, last year. William III, that king from England, was the first king from England to send slave ships into America. God was saying, I have not forgotten about what the enemy tried to do and how he wanted to try to subvert my plans. But I remember covenant prayers of all those who have laid a foundation of intercession here. And I'm going to use your relationship to show that I want to reverse the effects of yesterday's pain. And the thing that connected us was this teaching that Dutch had on synergy. Synergy. Synergy is when you take these two separate things and when you connect them together, they don't create an addition of power but a multiplicity of power. Scientists say if you take two horses, if you put them together, if they're pulling the same load, it creates so much exponential power, it's as if a third invisible horse has been added. Spiritually, we know that one could put a thousand to flight and two could put what? Ten thousand to flight. That's synergy. So think about it. We start getting all this agreement in prayer between red, yellow, black, and white. We start getting agreement in prayer between old and young, male and female. We can see the synergistic exponential release in the power of prayer like we've never seen before. But then Dutch said something else that was so profound. He said this, not only can you agree in prayer with the person sitting next to you, you can also agree in prayer with a generation behind you. He talked about how he's at his alma mater, where I used to work, Christ for the Nations Institute, and he's leading the student body in prayer. And while he's leading them in prayer, the Holy Spirit said, Dutch, I want you to come in agreement with the prayers of the founder of this school. He said, okay, God, this is... This is interesting because I know you're not going to talk to the dead. Is this really you? <laughs> and Holy Spirit said, I didn't say agree with him. I said agree with his prayers. His prayers are still alive before my throne. 
There are things I promised this man in prayer that I want to release into this school right now, but I can't do it yet because I need this generation to come to agreement with that generation. I want to release the synergy of the ages coming together. It's like with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God raised up an Isaac, then a Jacob. But because he remembers his covenant with Abraham, he breaks that Jacob thing off this boy and makes him Israel because he promised this man back here a nation. And when he did it for Israel, it was just as if he'd done it for Abraham. So finally, Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40 made sense to me where he says, All these by faith, they were proved for their faith, but did not receive what was promised. So that apart from us, that wouldn't be made perfect without us. In other words, there's this whole company of people looking over the balcony of heaven who are saying, Hey, y'all, don't mess this thing up. Because God's taught us something in us that he wants to release exponentially through you. Jesus said it best when he said, well, greater works than these are you going to do because I'm going to the Father. And he'll start something in one generation because he remembers what he started with them. He remembers their covenant with them. And he'll complete it exponentially through future generations. You see that especially in the place of prayer. Psalm 133, we love to quote that, right? It says, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Unity is like the anointing oil that flows from Aaron's head onto his beard and onto his robe. The Bible says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. We always think about that verse and talking about agreement today. But listen, that's also about how we agree with what God started in our yesterday. Because God remembers. Why do I say that? The thing that we miss about Psalm 133, one, is that Aaron was a high priest. So primarily, this, that whole passage is about agreement in prayer. The second thing we miss is that we don't understand the importance of the oil dripping down from the head and, on the beard and onto the beard and then onto the robe. Listen, that one robe was passed down from high priest to high priest to high priest. The same robe, but with the accumulated anointings in prayer from the previous generations. See, we miss it because we take a little oil and we dump somebody on the forehead and we call it a day. That's not how they anointed people back then. What they would take was about a half a gallon to a gallon of thick, rich anointing oil according to Jack Hayford and other scholars, and they would pour that, all, all that oil on the high priest's head and drift from his head onto his beard onto his robe. Listen, that one robe was then passed down to the next high priest. But then as he was anointed for his today, as the oil dripped down and mingled with the anointing from the past on the same robe, then that same robe is then passed down to the next high priest. In other words, there's supposed to be a momentum-building anointing that goes from generation to generation to generation to generation, the saturations of the ages, if you will, right? Because God loves to remember. And he doesn't start over. He just builds on what he already continued with the previous generation. So everybody wants the next woman that I'll lose something or the next purpose-driven this or that. Those are great titles made by great authors, but here's the deal. Right now, I believe God is not after originality. You know what he's after? A successor. And to the successors, he released a double portion of anointing on them that was so powerful and not only make them impactful in this generation, but make them a springboard for future generations to come. Especially in the place of prayer. When I first got this understanding, I was a wreck because I remember this kettle pot in my family. Like I said, it was used by the slaves in my family. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes, but secretly, they used it for prayer. They were owned by a slave master in Lake Providence, Louisiana, who would beat them for any reason, and praying was one of them. So back then, they wanted slaves to be Christians because they knew the Christian slaves made better workers. But they would pervert the gospel and say, slaves, be obedient to your masters if you want to go to heaven. Now, we know we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God so that no one should boast. But it was easy to teach slaves that back then because it was against the law for slaves to read and write. It was also against the law for anybody to teach a slave how to read and write. But the irony of the peculiar institution called slavery is that while they wanted them to be Christians, they didn't want them to pray because they felt like if they prayed, it would foster hope. And if they got hopeful, they would try to run away. So... Literally, these folks in my family who had this pot in Lake Providence, Louisiana, they would literally be beaten if they were caught praying. Give an example of how cruel slavery was on this plantation. We had a story passed down about a great uncle of ours named Uncle Willie who went fishing without asking. And so the slave master decided to make an example out of them. So they strapped him to a tree and put both arms and legs around either side of that tree. They then took a leather strap which was shredded which had rocks and nails and glass attached to it something like the cat of nine tails 
And they beat this slave forefather of ours until all the flesh was pulled out of his back. The family, in an effort to save his life, they uh, took a huge sheet and put lard or grease on it and used like one big band-aid to wrap it around his body. Uh, they put grease on the sheet so that the exposed skin from the cotton wouldn't stick to his back. That makes sense. But in spite of their efforts and because of the cruelty, that great uncle, Uncle Willie, bled to death and died. That story has been passed down in our family. But here's the thing. The folks who owned this kettle that were in my family, it's my father's side of the family, they were Christians, and they decided to pray anyway. So what they would do is they would sneak into that barn at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen. But to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this cast iron kettle pot. This is the very one they used. And they would take the pot into the middle of the cabin floor, and then they would turn the pot upside down on the cabin floor, then prop it up with about three or four rocks that would be suspended off the ground about an inch or two. They would then lay flat on the ground and put their lips in between the opening between the ground and the kettle so that the kettle pop muffled their voices as they prayed through the night. And the story they passed down with this pot is this, is that they didn't think they would see freedom in their time, so they prayed for the freedom of their children in the next generation. So one day, freedom comes. There's this young teenage girl. She decides to keep this pot and that story in our family. Now, why would she do that? She's probably thinking about all those who are dead and gone, who risked their lives to pray for her. She's probably thinking about all those who are too old to enjoy the freedom she's about to embrace. So she keeps this pot and this story in our family. And she passed the pot and the story down to Harriet Lockett. Harriet Lockett passed it on to Nora Lockett. Noah Lockett passed it on to William Ford Sr., who then passed it on to William Ford Jr., who then gave it to me, William Ford III. So I'm there at this conference, hearing this man talk about agreeing with the prayers of those who have gone before us, God's covenant promises and how he never starts over. He just builds on what he's already started and how God loves to remember. Guess what? I remember for the first time in years the story of this kettle pot. And all of a sudden, y'all, they hit me. To whom much is given, much is required. And listen, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into praying, but listen, they had a slave master that kept them from praying back then, but we have a willing master today. It's called social media. It's called entertainment. But beyond that, I thought about the privilege. I thought, oh my God, I get to agree with the prayers of my forefathers. For the freedom of this next generation. And I thought about the exponential results that could be released and created from that. Shared that with my friend Dutch Sheets when we were planning this prayer journey, these series of conferences. He says, well, you know, I was asking the Lord, so you want me to use some cast iron cooking pot to represent the prayer bowls in heaven? Listen, Revelation 5 and 8, so there are bowls in heaven full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They, this pot just serves an acoustic means to keep their prayers from being heard. But listen, there's a prayer bowl over your family. There's a prayer bowl over Houston. There's a prayer bowl over Texas. There's a prayer bowl over this nation. God's looking for a new generation to resource the prayer bowls once again. He said, God, you want me to have some cast iron cooking pot represent the prayer bowls in heaven? And Dutch said he had his Bible with him and it falls open to Zechariah 14 and 20. Part B of that verse says, and the cooking pots in the house of the Lord. She'll be like the bowls before the altar. So here's this cooking pot that's caught muffled prayers. It's saying it was a bowl in heaven that catches our prayers like incense. Then Dutch said this to me. He said, wouldn't it be just like God in this justice and irony to use the prayers of a slave generation to free a nation up for revival again? So I'm glad he said generation because it wasn't just black Christian slaves praying back then. They're also white Christian abolitionists. Who knew if any person was a slave was a Christian, they knew that person was their brother. Many of those white abolitionists, many of those white revivalists had their houses burned, they were shot, they were killed, they were even lynched because they chose to suffer with the people of God rather than compromise and wink at slavery. Now learn something from them. They were laying down their lives for their Christian brothers who were slaves because they knew they were connected because of the blood of Jesus. Help me to understand something. See, if my ancestors had been Muslims or Buddhists, I had no connection to this part of its history. But because they were Christians, listen, not only these, my ancestors and forefathers, they're yours too. 
No matter what race you are, we are connected because of the, we have the same ancestry in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm just as much a spiritual son of Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards as you are Martin Luther King and William Seymour. And when we come together, y'all, and that kind of unity, that kind of agreement, something powerful happens. The oil begins to flow. Anointings begin to mingle. Yokes get broken over generations. Because it was the prayers of a godly remnant back then who prayed into being the first and the second great awakening. Had it not been for those revivals, slavery would have never ended. There was a Supreme Court law back then called Dred Scott, which said slaves had no rights in the courtroom. Everybody thought that law sealed the fate of slavery in this nation. But because of revival, God broke that law in the hearts of people so powerfully. People in the north were willing to fight for people in the south that didn't look like them. That's why I'm daring to believe this. And the same God who broke the power of Dred Scott, he can break the power of Roe v. Wade. He can put an end to systemic poverty. He can stop our schools from being a pipeline to prison. He can shut down mass incarceration. He can put an end to the opiate crisis in the suburbs and shut down the crack houses in the inner city. He's just looking for a new generation of people who will drop their agendas and come together and believe. I don't have a lot of time to go into, but the Lord made me to show me. He said, William, the litmus test for authentic revival back then was the ending of slavery. The litmus test for authentic revival today would be the ending of abortion. And he starts showing me the, just the race connections, Margaret Sanger, eugenics, that whole deal. See, listen, the deal is this. When the people that we cannot see, talking about the child in the womb, can become optional, it's inevitable that some other people that we can see can also be dehumanized and marginalized even to the place of elimination like we saw with George Floyd. In other words, the same God who wept over George Floyd and Lionel Castile, he's the same God who wept over the nine police officers that were killed this summer during the riots. And he's also the same God that weeps over 60 million babies that have been aborted in this nation. So he wants to release this awakening that's going to restore human dignity from the cradle to the grave. So, but the Lord said he had to deal with some of the issues that I had in my heart. So he gave me this powerful dream about the dreamer, Dr. King. You probably saw it in the video, but for those who hadn't seen it, at this dream where I was on my way to Dr. King's old church, but I couldn't get there without first picking up Dr. King. So in this dream, I go by this house to pick up Dr. King and he comes out it's a dream, of course. So he has this huge white duffel bag, and he's alive. And huge white duffel bag with black handles on it. But in the dream, Dr. King starts emptying all this dark garbage out of that duffel bag. Violently throws away the duffel bag, and he comes again to this vehicle with, with myself and my friend Lou Engel. And in the dream, I thought to myself, man, that bag would make a nice souvenir. I was thinking, okay, I went to Morehouse College. He went to Morehouse College. The bag would make a nice souvenir. But in the dream, I go to try to pick up the baggage, but before I can even touch it, Dr. King grabs me by my shoulders, and he says, no, do not go back and pick that up. And in the dream, he starts telling me what I need to do to heal the race issue in this nation. I wake up from the dream in tears. My pillow was soaked in tears. I've been weeping the whole night in intercession. I didn't even realize it. We start praying, God, what's the interpretation for this dream? I was like, God, remind me, what did Dr. King say to me? And the Lord said to me, William, the white bag with the black handles, that would be the interpretation for your dream. And I realized the white bag, the white baggage represented my white baggage. And the black handles represented how I, as a black man, had been carrying my white baggage. God was saying to me, William, get rid of your white baggage. You've been carrying it for way too long. I had resentment and unforgiveness issues because in this region where I lived in, in Texas, I remember what it's like at 13 years old to be, uh, I know what it's like at 13 years old to come out of a convenience store with three friends, all 12 and 13 years old, and a call full of white guys called us the N-word, said they're going to shoot and kill us, and they chased us for almost two hours. They probably were just joyriding, but listen, we were terrified. I know what it's like at 19 to have a Plainclothes officer falsely accused me of shoplifting, and when he couldn't find anything on me, he tried to provoke me by saying ugly things to me to try to just have a reason to take me in. I know what it's like in my 30s to get my first nice house in the suburbs, and for the first three months, every week, the same police officer will pull me over just for driving while black. I know what that feels like, but you know what I've done? 
for every white person and every police officer in that region, I put those storylines on everybody. I prejudged everybody through that, through the lens of those bad experiences before I had one conversation with them. Listen, that's the devil's diabolical plot. It's Revelation 12 where it says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The word accuser comes from a powerful word. It's the Greek word kategoros. It's where we get the word category. In other words, the diabolical plot of the enemy is to get us to categorize and stereotype each other so that before we can ever have one conversation with each other, we prejudge everybody and just throw them into one category. God was saying to me, William, get rid of your unforgiveness. Get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your resentment. Get rid of any guilt manipulation. Get rid of your white baggage so we can all get a new vehicle that can bring revival and justice for everybody. So the question God has us has for all of us today, y'all, is this. It's not just me. It's all of us. What color is your baggage? God is saying, church, get rid of it because we need each other. Because only a united church is going to heal a divided nation. So I had this big, thick book called A Testament of Hope. I actually went to Dr. King's church the next day after the dream and had a service there. And this big, thick book, about 600 pages, it falls open to the I Have a Dream speech. And I started reading that speech like a prayer. And I get to the part where Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would sit together at the table of brotherhood. And then I remembered this part. And I remembered those people who prayed, but I thought, whatever happened to the people who owned our family where this kettle pot came from? And for the first time, I prayed for that family. But little did I know that God will remember and connect me to some more unfinished business. I'm going to call up my friend Matt Lockett. Matt, please come share. He is the executive director of the Justice House of Prayer in Washington, D.C. And one of my good friends. Come on up. Good morning. What an honor it is to be here with you and to be in a moment like we are right now, to have the privilege to pray for our cities, for our nation, for our family. You know, I know many of you have already heard a lot of the details of our story. And, you know, we were, we were pondering this morning, like, Lord, what, what do you want us to say, what, what do you want us to add to this story? There's so much detail that it has taken us 15 years really to, to even begin to see God unfold this story. I just want to say this, that it, it's, it, it is without question that what God is highlighting to us this morning is that at a moment right now, when it seems like a lot of people are asking, how did we get here? Do you know what I mean? Like we're looking around at the hurt and the pain in this nation and we have that question. How did we get here? How has this, how has this endured this long? And a lot of people are throwing up their hands. They're looking for answers. And as the people of God, we need to have a better answer than I don't know. The answer for us as believers is that God has been working on something for a while. If this story reveals nothing else, it reveals this, that God has begun something in our yesterday and we have have an opportunity to step in right now in this moment to be answers to prayers that people prayed before us. And so Will said this a moment ago, but I don't think we can make light of this. What about promises that your mama and papa got? Their prayers are still alive before God's throne. They have God's attention. Your prayers have God's attention. And, and so this whole story, I just want to give this to you to, to, to think about and to ponder, is that, that God wants to answer prayer. Now that might sound overly simple, but listen, people prayed and God is still wanting to answer prayers from years, generations ago. And so right now, see, we have to think bigger than just what's happening in our own lives. We have to look at how we are woven together in this nation. And we like to silo ourselves, don't we? We like to block everybody out. We like to segregate and social distance our churches. (laughs) I saw that online the other day. There's a thing on the internet called Facebook. 
And, and people like to put stuff on it. <laughs> That's a joke. You can laugh. <laughs> but it said, I, I don't know why you're so upset about social distancing at church. Your church has been socially distanced for years. <laughs> so it's either amen or oh me right now. But this is the reality of the day. But listen, God is about to lift the curtain on his handiwork. And the way that you kick up into an understanding of what God has done and is doing is through prayer. I met this man in a prayer meeting. The first thing that we ever did together before we ever really knew each other was we stood at an altar like this and we prayed together. Now the story that unfolded because of that has been extraordinary. Many of you already know the story, but see, here's the thing is we didn't know the story at the beginning. You're saying, what's, what story is he talking about? Listen, for a decade, Will and I prayed together and we just kind of learned to love each other. Well, we just did life together. I love this man. He loves me. I love his family. I fight for his dreams. He fights for my dreams. And God gave us this amazing gift called relationship. And he allowed us to just do life together and fight for each other. And after 10 years of that, he says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift the curtain and show you something I've been working on. And the way that we kicked up into this knowledge is because we prayed. Listen, don't treat prayer as like the little gravy that you pour on at the end. This is how... God initiates things, it's how he sustains things, and it's how he finishes things in the earth. Is when God's people pray, it reshapes the world around them and it kicks you up into a providential understanding of what God wants to fulfill in your life. See, I'm a believer. That means I believe something. I believe that my life has meaning. I believe that God has a purpose for my life. I believe that he has a work that he designed for me and he has a work that he designed for you. It's tailor-made just for you. You're the only one that can do it. And he, and he wrote a book about your life before one day ever came to be. That's Psalm 139 and that is glorious. A whole generation is walking the earth that were told by their moms and dads that you were an accident. That is false. That is false. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. There is no accidents in God. No one is an accident. And so when we're talking about racism or whether we're talking about abortion, the people of God have to understand that we are created in the image of God. And we have a divine design on our lives and the privilege to live out this life that God's made for us. Listen, this is all I'm trying to do is just live the dream that God dreamed for me. This is what, this is how it works is at some point, God had a dream and then he wrapped flesh and bone around that dream and you are the embodiment of the dream of God. Have you ever thought about that? We have to be reminded of this because when circumstances are hard or when, you know, we have conflict in our lives, man, you just kind of lose sight of that and you start feeling like you are an accident. You feel like God somehow sneezed and you fell out in the timeline and here you are. No, that is a lie out of the pit of hell. You are the embodiment of the dream of God. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is or where you came from or who, you know, and what, and all this, all the circumstances. Acts 17 says that God determined the boundaries of your habitation and the times in which you live. That means that the neighborhood that you live in, the place that you were born, the parents that you were born to, none of that stuff is an accident. God had a design. Oh, guys, get a hold of that, that there is a design. And God lift the curtain on this story with Will and I. And after 10 years of praying, we find out the most glorious and extraordinary and heart-wrenching truth. Will, just come back up here with me. Why don't you share, after all of these years of praying, what we found out? So... Basically, we found out that after all the years of praying, 15 years of friendship, 10 years of friendship, but the last six years, we realized this. It was Matt's family who owned my family where this color pot came from. So think about it. Here's my family. that They're praying for the ending of slavery. They're in Lake Providence. Why Lake Providence? Maybe the Lake of God's Providence is way deeper and wider than we know. 
maybe the color of our skins, the family we're born into, maybe none of that's a mistake. They're there praying for the ending of slavery, and then all the way up at the farmhouse where the people used to own them, slavery comes to an end in their front yard. That was Matt's family's front yard. But then because it's the God of the past and the future, he connects two people from those same storylines together, Matt and I, so we can war against injustice in our day and cry out for awakening in our time. Would you stand with us? Let's stand together. As I said, I know many of you know a little more of the details. We've written a whole lot about this in this book called The Dream King. Because the the video that Will played at the beginning, I think, is something to really ponder where Dr. King stood on the spot where Will and I met. Will and I met in a prayer meeting at the Lincoln Memorial, the very spot where Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. And this is what we're offering to you right now is what if that wasn't just poetry? What if it was prophecy? What if the God that has designed you and had a divine plan for your life was dropping little breadcrumbs and then connecting dots for all of us for the sake of this nation. I believe God's in the business of raising up deliverers. I believe Dr. King was a deliverer raised up in his generation. But now we and you get to step into that unfinished work, something that God's already started in the past. We now step into it and become the answer to their prayers. Amen. I would like for them to please stay close. We're going to do a couple of things and then I want them to pray over this congregation, over this city, over our county, and over our state and our nation. And they have highlighted today the remarkable way that God takes things that are tragic and turns them around and connects people that should If we listen to what people tell us we're supposed to do, they should hate each other. They should be carrying the hatred from one generation to the next. Instead, they have found that in Christ, we become new creatures. We are born into the family of God. They no longer stand as slave owner or descendant of slave owners and descendant of slaves. They now stand equally as brothers at the foot of the cross and as children of God. I want to ask you a question. If you could give an offering that would help eliminate racism in this country, would you be willing to give? I want our ushers to come and pass out the envelopes right now. And as is our custom here, we're going to sow into the word that we have just heard. What a powerful word of God. Let's, for just a moment, forget that this is connected at all to, to any effort of the Spirit of God to dismantle racism in this country. Strictly the message by itself was profound. Amen. And the way that Will brought everything together and then Matt came and tied it up uh, was, was unique in its own way. But I want to ask you if you could give an offering that could sow into dismantling slavery in this country, would you be willing to do it? You'd say, yes, but we don't have slavery. Yeah, we do. People's minds are still enslaved. People's hearts and attitudes are still enslaved. And if you could give an offering that would help eliminate racism, the slavery that that literally... It's as powerful as manacles on the hands and the feet, but it's on people's thinking. If we could break that, would you be willing? I know that you would because that's what this church stands for. Now, having said that, um, in just a moment, we're going to receive a gift. If you're our guest here today, we welcome you. And what I'd like for you to know is that we always wait until the end of our guest having spoken before we receive their gift because we believe in the principle of sowing into a word from God. 
And so when you sow into the word that you have received, we're enabling these men to go about the ministries that God has called them to pursue, which is vital to the healing that needs to take place in our nation. We all pray Second Chronicles 7.14 that God would heal our land. Now we have an opportunity to actually actively participate in its healing. And I want us to do that. But before we do, I would like every head to be bowed for just a moment. And those that are watching the live stream this morning, we're so glad that you have joined us. Perhaps the message that has been preached today has touched your heart. And if you've never given your heart and your life to the Lord before, across this building, would you slip up your hand right where you're at and say, I need God in my life. Would you do it right now? God bless you and God bless you and God bless you and you. Continue to raise them. God bless you and you. Continue to raise them. I need the Lord in my life right now. Others, I want to pray for you. And if you're at home and you're watching this and you're part of the Inspire Online community, as we pray together, you can give your heart to Christ. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I ask you to wash me with the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I surrender my life to you. And I ask you to be the Lord that sits on the throne of my life. That means all of my ambitions and my goals and, and my plans and my dreams, I now run them through the cross and ask that they would be fulfilled, not for my glory, but for your glory, Lord. That I could be an instrument that would bring glory to you and that you would be the Lord of my life and that any attempt that I make on my part to see these dreams fulfilled would not be fueled by just my passion but rather your passion for me working through me as my savior cleanse me of my wrongs forgive me of the attitudes that I've had that are not correct even toward members of other ethnicities in my community or people that I have not attributed value to that you have assigned such incredible value that you gave your son that they could be saved. And I believe today in the glorious life, the horrific death and burial and the magnificent resurrection of Jesus in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, I want you to know. I want you to know that you've taken your first steps right now as a child of God. Do three other things, if you would, please. Go on to be baptized in water, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And, and we would love to see you baptized. There will be people in the lobby at the information table. If you'll go there after the service, they can help set up an appointment for you to be baptized. Or you can call the number on the bottom of the screen. Or those of you that are here, you can call uh, the church number and we can get that set up. Or you can connect with through a link on the bottom of our website. The second thing is go ahead and be filled full of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that you may live live the empowered life and number three become a part of a bible believing church and become connected to a body of believers where you can grow in christ and if you live within 15 miles of inspire we claim you you don't get any choice you've got to come here we love to have you be a part of our church of course you do have a choice but we want to make you feel welcome and now just before we conclude um ushers if you'll come I want you to pass through. Have you already passed through the congregation? Okay, they've already received the gifts. I want us to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask Will and Matt to come back. And I want us to pray against the forces of racism. I'm going to ask you right now without bowing your head. Without bowing your head. How many of you in this building have ever experienced what you feel like? was an overt act of racism directed towards you. Would you raise your hand? Look at that. The rest of us, I want us to look around. Look around. This is why it needs to be talked about. 
You see, some of the finest members of our church have their hands raised right now. They know what it's like. And they have to deal with that in their own hearts. And the fact that they're here today worshiping in a church that is multicultural is a huge statement about their desire to see this evil eradicated from this land. Guys, I can't think of anything more appropriate than you two fellows would lead us in prayer together. Would you please do that? Father, we just thank you that you've already started a work, Lord. And, And Lord, we cry out on behalf of, Lord, our families, our city, our nation. Lord, the pain that we see playing out even in the streets of the nation right now. God, we pray that you would break in with a great remedy right now, God. We pray for a healing balm to come in the form of people who have been healed. God, I'm asking right now that you would connect us with your unfinished business. Lord, what you've began, what you began in a previous generation, we now ask God for you to connect us to that unfinished work and to bring that forth in this generation with redemptive purpose. God, I'm asking that, that you would just make it so apparent, God, that we need each other and you are revealing your handiwork of how you've woven our lives together in an intricate and beautiful way, God, that we would recognize your handiwork, that we need each other, and by design, we are meant to run together in Jesus' name. And Father, we we do pray for every person as they had hatred and bigotry in their families. Lord, as a son of former slaves, I just release forgiveness to your family right now for all bigotry, hatred that has come down family lines. I forgive the sins of your forefathers in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the generational blessing that's being released. We thank you for the curse being reversed. And God, for those who've experienced pain, experienced injustice, experienced racism, God, we thank you, Lord. Lord, for emptying us and healing us, Lord, from all the pain of the past. But Lord, using us to move the chain forward toward healing, toward awakening. God, would you take our nation from from riots to revival? In this time of our rude awakening, would you release the great awakening in the name of Jesus? Would you bring healing to our land, God? So that generations even yet to be created can praise you. God, we, you, you, you haven't forgotten about the prayers of all those who have gone before us. You haven't forgotten about the prayers of Parham and Seymour in this city. You haven't forgotten about the prayers of Finney and Edwards. You haven't forgotten about the prayers of Mama and Papa on them. God, I'm asking you, remember once again, God. God, on these old stones and these old memories of what you did before. God, would you release a new fire for this next generation? Turn down today's bell altars in our day, in our time, God. Restore human dignity and the value of every life from the cradle to the grave in the name of Jesus so that generations even yet to be created can praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord some praise right now? Give the Lord some praise. Well, what an incredible day. And you have to juxtapose this service against the efforts of people to fix racism who have have left God out of that equation. Have the riots fixed anything? Has burning buildings resolved anything? Has destroying police buildings fixed anything? No. Our communities become more fractured and divided. And they have brought to us, these two men, have helped us understand the key component that must not be omitted in the process. And that is God's people need to pray and be a part of the healing efforts. The church holds the key. Amen. I said the church holds the key. God has anointed each one of you. Look across the aisle and point a finger and say, God has anointed you. God has anointed you to bring healing. Amen. Each one of you carry power to heal. 
And let, let me say this because it's a divine principle and I'm going to let you go. I saw this many years ago in scripture. Where you are wounded, you actually receive authority to bring healing to others. By his stripes, we are healed. If you have been wounded, it's so that God can help you heal somebody else. Would you give the Lord some praise one more time? Exercise the authority God has given you this week. Amen.